0: Hey everyone, this week on Life's a Beach, I've got in the beach shack Shayna Jack. She tells her story that is incredible on what she went through from being an elite swimmer to then being called a drug cheat and then serving her time and the fight to reduce her suspension and then come back swimming at an elite level and then just recently making the Australian team for the World Championships. So now let's sit back and have a listen to my chat with Shayna. This week in the beach shack, I've got Shayna Jack, which uh, I'm quite excited about this one because uh, she's got a good story and and swimming very very well at the moment. So welcome to the beach shack, Shayna.
1: No, oh, thank you. It's so good to be here. Doesn't feel like the beach, but it's too cold.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cold in Sydney at the moment. It's only about thirteen at, the, at max, so yes, not good outdoors at the beach.
1: Oh gosh, no, I'm in Brisbane. I'm in Brisbane, and it's I uh, probably only twenty, but I'm still cold. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, let's. Well, um, you grew up in Queensland. So what was that like growing up in the northern parts of
2: Australia?
1: Yeah, I loved it. Obviously, it's a bit warmer than down south. But for me, my family grew up very sporting orientated, very outdoors orientated. Um, I have three brothers. So I have two older brothers and one younger brother. And I'm the only girl. So it was always just trying to be just as good as them at cricket, at you know, go-karting in the backyard doing all those things growing up. And, of course, swimming, we all swum. And, safe to say that I wear that crown for now. My younger brother is coming up through the ranks and giving it a giving it a bit of a shove, but absolutely loved it. And, and yeah, my family was really big on staying outdoors, being healthy. And that's what I try to do day in and day out now and, and share that with the rest of the world.
0: That's great. So did you start swimming at a young age?
1: <laughs> yes. I like to say my mum just pushed me in the pool <laughs> as a baby. We all did the learn to swim again, similar to what you guys educate everybody on just the water safety and ensuring that I knew how to survive in the water, especially when I go to the beach. Um, but, you know, my family kind of showed natural talent in the water and we all loved it. And, and I especially loved it probably more than my brothers. And yeah, we continued going from there. So basically from, I think, 18 months old, I, I've swum.
0: And then when was your first competition in swimming?
1: <laughs> I think I was seven. I think back then you, were, I think you weren't allowed to actually compete until you were a certain age. So I do think it might've been seven or eight that I actually had my first competition. And then, yeah, as I, as I got a bit of feel for racing and, and a love for it, it never stopped.
0: And did you have any success at that age to think oh, I could <laughs> be a, a good swimmer or you had the passion <laughs> and the vision that I want to be a swimmer down the track?
1: Look, I definitely didn't have it back then. I I might've showed natural abilities, but I didn't actually have the results to go with that. You know, I was lucky that I was quite tall when I was younger. So it kind of started to settle for me when I was around like 11 or 12 was when I actually started to make a shift in my swimming career. I actually started, you know, making school nationals and, and started winning things surprisingly. And Yeah, it kind of just became one of those second nature. I did a lot of other sports growing up. I did basketball. I did, uh, I think I tried soccer. I tried dancing. Fun fact, my dance squad, we were national champions at one stage. So kind of actually picking between swimming or dance back then. And I I chose to go down the path of swimming. And and that's kind of where I fully committed was about 13 years old was when I, I stopped doing any other sport and just focused on swimming.
0: And at that point you thought, well, I won't do the other sports because of that. You thought swimming is the, is what you really enjoyed.
1: Yeah. Swimming was definitely the one thing I, I loved to do and I really enjoyed. And I actually saw a future in it. I did meet Libby Trickett when I was 10 years old and, and I've, you know, always stuck by, I met her and I was completely starstruck and she made me feel like as a 10 year old, the most valuable person in that room. And I wanted to kind of be that person when I grew up and, seeing that she was an Olympian and seeing that she'd you know won medals but also made such a difference in the swimming community I just thought that's where I wanted to be and that's the kind of person I wanted to be so it just sparked in my little heart back then that yeah becoming an Olympian was the goal. Well
0: you've got to love swimming don't you because I've done a little bit of swimming obviously to to be a lifeguard but yeah swimming up and down that black line can become (laughs) quite boring.
1: Yes, it is the common question that we get asked is how do we do it? Um, I do say there's safety in numbers. So going to going and looking at that black line with somebody else apparently makes that easier. We do have obviously our coach, Dean Boxer is a Larican, and we have a lot of great personalities in our, in our program that keep things lighthearted, a lot of banter. But it, it is a high discipline sport. You do have, have to have a lot of discipline and and love for what we do and, and the kind of things that we can achieve. Um, it's a very rare opportunity for us to be able to do what we do and I think you know it is a blessing when we get to achieve what we do achieve so the hard yards are are worth it in the end.
0: Now you started into competition and you're getting better and at what stage did you start getting the results?
1: I made my first junior opportunity when I was 13 Um, so that was ear like it was pretty insane for anybody to make it at 13 and as I said I was tall so it did have that advantage and there was a period of time that I didn't actually improve from like the age of 15 to 18 I I think I you know kind of plateaued because everybody else kind of caught up when it came to strength and height so I didn't have that advantage anymore but I started to get the results when I made a change in program straight out of school I went to the program with Kate and Bronte Campbell and Simon Cusack as our coach and And I just was able to become more of an elite athlete because I was was in an elite athlete environment. I was actually, you know, learning the ways and and understanding how it and what it took to become an elite athlete. And that really made a shift in my mentality and and my physicality. So I made my first senior team in 2017, which was, yeah, a dream come true. And being able to wear the green and gold for the first time that year and and then continue that on from then was really special.
0: And it must have been amazing to make that, yeah, the first time you've made the Australian team.
1: Yeah, it was. I was actually a shock. <laughs> I um, not that I didn't expect that I could do it. I just, it's one of those moments that reality hits and you're like, oh my god, did I just do that? Is that correct? Is somebody got this wrong? Am I about to like? Is this a joke? So it is one of those, those moments that it takes time to sink in. It really, really does. And But it's one of those moments that you never forget. And, and for me, like I get my I got my number tattooed on me. Like that's how important for me making that team and becoming number 785th person to make the Australian team, it, it meant so much to me. So I'll never lose that number and, and it's always going to be mine no matter what.
0: Yeah, you went on and um, you swam in, in a pretty good relay side, didn't you, in, uh, around that period?
1: Yeah, I was really lucky to be part of the 4x100 freestyle women's team, and I think any year, if you get the opportunity to race in that relay, it's you know it's world-class, and you have to be world-class to be in that, so it was really special from, you know, I was 18 at that time, and, and the year after, we were at the Commonwealth Games at the Gold Coast, where we broke the world record, and again, one of those moments that you've got to kind of stop and, and pinch yourself for, because... None of us expected it. None of us thought it was, you know, we'd never even kind of thought about it before the race. We just all went out there and did our job and to get our hands across the line and and to see the world record pop up. Yeah, I was I was shocked for words. I was 19 at the time. My family was in the stands, my partner was in the stands and it was just crying and screaming basically. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and and how do you deal with the pressure though? Like it must be that much pressure when you're about to race in a massive competition, like how do you build up to to handle that?
1: Yeah, look, I think that's one that um, each athlete has an individual mechanism of how to deal with it. For me, I, I don't, I don't deal well with pressure. So I try to eliminate pressure altogether. As hard as that sounds, I try to remember like what I'm actually going in there to achieve. I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, save a life or, or anything like that. I'm, I'm basically going in there to, do something that i love and see what i'm capable of it doesn't matter what everybody else is doing it is sometimes easier said than done but for me it's all about having fun it's it's basically but when i'm behind those blocks i just have to enjoy what i do and love what i do and and remember that you know i get to do this as a job and and it's really special and really lucky to be able to do that
0: and what's a typical week of training like how many <laughs> kilometers do you end up doing with gym sessions and mm. tell us a bit about that
1: so basically we train in the pool nine times a week. So we have double sessions three times a week and then the rest are singles. Luckily we do have Sundays off, which is always nice. Sometimes I go to the beach just because why not? And we do three gym sessions on top of that. We also have a circuit once a week. We also have, well, I do some boxing as well, just because I enjoy boxing. Okay. And we also do bike sessions as well. So you kind of fit a lot into a session. and Sometimes we're at the pool for about four hours. It just depends on the day and how much Dean wants us to do, but we really put ourselves through the ringer to achieve what we achieve in, in one moment in time.
0: Gee, you must sleep well at night after all that.
1: <laughs> yes, I do love my sleep. I'm actually one of the few swimmers that don't nap during the day, so like the other athletes can't believe that I don't nap, but <laughs> I just don't. I definitely have a great sleep at night. <laughs>
0: Leaning up to there, you're you're having a great career, but then suddenly everything was just tipped upside down. And, you know, tell us about that.
1: Yeah. So, basically, for me, I was, as you said, I was on the rise. I was on my way up. I was basically doing everything in the lead up to basically Olympic year, um, being in 2020 at the time. And in 2019, I had made my second Worlds team. And we were in Japan at the time and uh, I got a call saying that they had found a prohibited substance in my system. And, um, you know, for any athlete or anybody who has to get tested to ensure they can do their job, it's one of those calls that you never think will happen to you and you never want to happen to anybody that, you know, personally in any way, when it happened, I kind of similar to when it's a good result, this was the worst of worst kind of outcomes. And I, had to sit there and and pinch myself and think this is a nightmare. This is not happening. I don't, you know, this is not real. I'm not actually going through this, and this is just a lie. So I was absolutely devastated. My, you know, my heart basically fell out of my chest. Um, I remember my coach coming into the room, and I was basically in the corner on a chair, crying my eyes out, and I couldn't breathe. And he didn't know what had happened when he came into the room um, and he actually thought, you know, once we've spoken out since, he actually thought that someone had died in my family. That's how, you know, distraught I was. And it was really hard to kind of come back from that. I you know, I kept being, I'm a positive person and I'm, you know, I'm quite happy person. But when you kind of have your whole world ripped out from underneath you unexpectedly, and for me, for no reason at all, I had done nothing wrong. I had no reason to be going through this. I couldn't comprehend or make sense of it. So I struggled a lot to just generally live past when that happened. I struggled to get off the couch. I struggled to make sense of the world and I I struggled to actually accept that the sport that I had lived my whole life in from the age of 18 months old that it was all gone for something that I had never done. So it was a really really hard time and and there was a lot of confusion around the whole process for me personally I you know was constantly in a state of unknowns I didn't know where it was going to end I didn't know what what the next step was I didn't know if I could afford things I didn't I had no idea it was basically me learning by doing the process so there was no rule book there was no guideline of do this and do this and do this it was basically you are out on your own do it yourself so it was a really scary world to be in but In the end, like I've come out a lot stronger and a lot more independent because of that. I don't rely on people to now help me. I kind of am very independent in the sense that if I need something done, I'm I'm very happy to do it myself. It could be a good and bad thing. I can tell you now my coach sometimes gets fed up with it. It was a roller coaster. It was two years altogether. By the time I was able to get back in the water, that was my final sentence after being put through a court process twice. So not just once. I had to do it again. Yeah. I was, I was really happy to get out of it in general. I didn't know from the beginning whether I was going to come back. I had a kind of a, I guess a bitter look at it. Once, once I, the longer I was in the process, I was, I became quite bitter about the whole process and towards sport. So I actually struggled to want to be a swimmer in the first place anymore. You know, I remember saying things like I'm going to get my number removed and and I'm not going to come back, and they don't deserve me because they threw me under the bus, anyways. But in the end, that doesn't—that wasn't me. That's just—that's just someone who's struggling and someone who, you know, couldn't make sense of the world. That's just—that's just my natural reaction, I guess, to being hurt. And once I'd finally, you know, fought for myself and gotten a result, I was yeah, there was no way I was wasn't going back to prove that point and and going back for myself, you know, to fall in love with the sport that I always knew I loved and. As I said, to prove a point, I, if I walked away, they won because in there, that's what they wanted. They wanted to take me away from the sport, and I was never going to let that happen.
0: Obviously, been yeah, very resilient and and on a, something that that was so sudden and to come through it, it's it's amazing on on how well you have done. And was there points there? Obviously, as you're saying though, that you know, did you get good support from from your fellow swimmers or? You know, obviously the media never betray anyone in a good way in this
1: situation. Yeah. Look, the best thing I can say is I learned a lot about the people that were in my life and the companies that I was associated with. It was a big learning curve of what was important in life. And I think um, not many people get to experience that learning lesson. And I experienced it from the age of 20. So I am very wise beyond my years now when it comes to that. I had a lot of support from, you know, my family, my friends, people who knew who I was, people who knew you know, this is nothing that I would have ever done. Um, and I, I definitely had a lot of public support and, and everything like that. But it, it's hard to be involved in someone's life that's kind of stuck, if that makes sense. It, I found a lot of people didn't know how to talk to me anymore because in the end the only thing they could ask me was, how's your case going? There wasn't, you know, there wasn't much. I didn't have much of a life. And um, I found that people kind of struggled to relate to me. So I never held anything against the people that potentially backed off or, or withdrew because they've got their own things that they they're dealing with or they're they're moving forward in their own lives. And unfortunately I was in that, you know, that unsettling stage of not knowing anything, not knowing my future, not knowing where I was going for the next day, let alone the next week. So I never held it against anyone, but I definitely remembered the people that continuously tried and continuously supported me no matter what. Um they were the ones that lifted me up when I wanted to give up you know, they were the ones that pushed me to continue to fight no matter whether I went back or not. They just pushed me to fight to win my reputation back because I'm not the kind of person that lets other people tell me what kind of person I am. Uh, and that was actually my motivator to finish the fight was I'm not going to let, you know, these companies tell me what kind of person or what kind of athlete I am um, because it was all wrong.
2: And it
0: must be hard in that situation that you know you you haven't done anything wrong but then you got to try and prove your innocence it, it must be without any proof like that's that must be like just sitting here listening to your story it must be just so frustrating that you, you just got no proof either
1: yeah and look and when we found the proof they tried to squash it so it was um it was so frustrating at times where i was constantly being kicked down um you know, there'd be breaking, like there'd be, we get a breakthrough in the case of like, oh, well, we've got this information and they go, nope, you can't include that because A, B, C and D of the law. And you're like, oh, are you serious? So confused me a lot. And that's actually kind of why I got into criminology as well. I study criminology currently, and it's so interesting comparing the two justice systems. You know, I'm, I'm sure every criminal system or, or a law system is flawed in some way because it's constantly changing and life is constantly evolving. But the sporting system was just sad. It was actually really sad because, you know, no matter how amazing you are as a person or the kind of effort you put in as an athlete, if you go through that system, and don't have the money to just afford the system, you're done. That's it, your career's gone. And I just thought, well that doesn't make sense. If you're if you're a criminal and can't afford to go through the like the criminal justice system, you're still appointed a lawyer because you have the right to fight. Whereas for an athlete, you don't really get the right to fight, you just forfeit because you don't have the funds. And I was just really grateful that my parents had saved up every cent from my upbringing and, and everything like that that I'd saved up as an athlete. That was all oh, my life savings went towards my fight. Um, I lost it all and it was worth it. It was 100% worth it because I'm doing, I'm back doing what I love and I'm back doing what I do best because of that. It, it didn't make it any easier. It was, as you said, it was a stage of, I didn't do anything wrong. Why am I losing my life savings? Why am I being put through this process? I paid six grand for my hair to get cut out and tested. And that came back completely negative of any drugs and that was again a piece of evidence that was vital to use, and they squashed it because I didn't physically carry it to the lab in America. And it is just like, well, how can I? I I didn't know that this was part crazy. of crazy. Yeah, you don't know the rules and and the things that they uh, are going to throw at you. Like at one stage, they they had a go at me for not having a full diarized food diary, and I thought, well, I don't keep a food diary. I'm not I'm not a robot. I don't I don't write down everything I eat every day, like. I snack nonstop. So good luck. And, you know, they, they, they tried to use that against me. And I just thought, well, when I started this process, no one asked me for a a food diary. No one said they wanted this. No one said they wanted that. I'm just presenting what I thought would help my case. So I'm I'm really grateful that I do know the ins and outs of the system. And I do know kind of world that I live in within sport. And, and I want to be able to help athletes for the future and, and just general public on, you know, overcoming adversity and not giving up to that higher authority at times. But, yeah, for me it's basically knowing that no matter what in the future I have a voice and a voice that can help people. And
0: you came through this period as well with, like, social media and uh, I mean I can imagine (laughs) that wouldn't have been nice either. Oh, no. People can comment on, on their own opinions or whatever they think without knowing the background of anything.
1: Oh, we all love to throw our two cents out there, even if it's worth nothing. Uh, yes, yeah, social media was it, was, it was a negative at the beginning and then I really used it as my platform to have my voice because, again, I couldn't trust the media at the time. Um, they were twisting anything I said. They were making it, oh, they twisted so many things and it was really unfair on my family and myself because a few things they came out with was about my family because I said something about my family, so they twisted it. So I actually used my platform to voice how I was feeling during the process. And I do think that that helped people understand the process a bit better and how unjust it can be. Like at stages, I wasn't allowed to talk about any of my case. I was only allowed to tell people how I felt about it, but I could not tell them the actual information about the case because then I would be leaking confidential information. But they can say whatever they want. The companies can you know, say whatever they want publicly and come out with whatever they want in the media. But unfortunately, I was under a lot of confidentiality restrictions. And all I could do was tell people how it felt to go through this and, and the kind of things that I was being put through. Like, I couldn't play any sport. I couldn't train at a um, registered pool. Uh, I couldn't coach anymore. I, could, I couldn't I could even see my coach, you know. I Dean is, you know, family to me and I couldn't even go and see my coach for a coffee. So, it literally ostracized me from everything I knew as my world. I had to completely live in a new world for two years.
0: Yeah. Well, it must've been such a a tough time and a a tough thing to do, especially at that age. And was there a time where you thought, Jesus, it's all too much. I'm never going to swim ever again.
1: Yes, um, the biggest moment that I had that was when I won. Well, I I won by getting two years. I won the original fight against Sports Integrity Australia and then they had a month to appeal it and um, it was the last five minutes of the last hour on the last day to appeal. They appealed publicly before, so they actually released it to the public at the same time that I was getting the information. So... That was great. And I found out that WADA, so world, the World Anti-Doping Association had also joined it. So I was no longer just versing one of the biggest companies in Australia. I was now versing one of the biggest companies in the world. So I felt like there was no winning. They didn't want me back because in the end it goes completely against everything that they, they do. It just makes them look bad. And... In the end, I had to do it all over again. I had to go through the whole process basically again, go to court again, present evidence, talk about it all again, fight again. And I had three arbitrators this time. So three people making the decision and I had to, I guess, win their opinion. And based on the evidence, I had to win them over again. And I felt like, one, I couldn't afford it. Two, there's no winning against these companies. They have all the money in the world and I don't. And they have all the power in the world and I don't. But what I realized that with a lot of support, with a lot of just fights, just mongrel fights, and just all I wanted to do was just put them back in their place of, you know what, you can't take my swimming career away from me just because you're going to accuse of something I didn't do. I have nothing to hide, like the truth will prevail. And in the end it did and I was really lucky that I was able to win again and it was actually a really empowering moment that I could come out of that, you know, head held high and, and proud of everything that I stood for um, through that whole process.
0: Well, it's, it's great that you didn't give up and you kept going even though it's cost you a lot of money, <laughs> and a lot of heartache as well. Yeah. But you you got through, what was that like when – you could then, the band's over, you can get back in the pool, back swimming, and it must have been an amazing feeling.
1: It was. So I remember, <laughs> I actually remember, so like you don't get the answer straight away, so you do the whole fight and then you have to like wait. I think they have maybe a, a month or so to actually hand down a decision. I remember my phone call. I was in the shower and my phone was calling in. So my partner was like, oh, it's your lawyer. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm not answering it. You answer it. So my partner answered the phone and, and they're both, they both were like screaming and, and I obviously knew what that meant. And um in, in all honesty, all I did was cry for a week. Basically. I just cried because I had been so, I'd been in fight mode for two years. Like all I'd done is fight. All I had done is try and pick myself up when I was down and I'd finally been able to breathe. It's, it was the best feeling where I could just finally feel everything that I'd been holding in for two years. Yeah. I cried for about a week, (laughs) nonstop, just crying all the time. And, (laughs) but going back to training was amazing. My coach, you know, even met me outside the pool and we walked in together. He just said like, we're going to walk in together. And this is where the journey starts for Olympics. And, and that's where it started and we're still on that journey.
0: And, Without – obviously, you probably were doing a little bit on your own for training, but what was that like the first lot of sessions back at an elite level?
1: Oh, I did not push myself. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, look, I probably, I probably swam like, you know, just what you guys might do in the pool, just a few laps. No, I, I still had the natural ability, which was nice. I still had an okay stroke, but it definitely took time to adjust. It was a, it was a slow process. And again, it, it's the injury prevention that we had to be really careful of. Um, I had to make sure that I didn't overuse anything too quickly because I had two years off. I, you know, I swam a bit and I gymed a bit basically in a couple months leading up by myself. But other than that, I didn't do anything because I was just, I hated going to the pool by myself. It was quite a negative space for me actually going to the pool by myself on my time off. It just reminded me that of everything I was missing. When I came back, I just, I just focused on myself and enjoying it. As I said, the whole time for me was just coming back to full love. And for me, the, the the best moment was when I raced for the first time. Um, just at our, our um, Queensland Nationals and I actually got out of the pool and the whole crowd was standing and clapping and I just cried. I, just, I cry a lot now, but um, I just could not contain <laughs> my emotion because it was just so nice to see how welcomed back I was because that was actually one of my fears was, was I actually going to be welcomed back with open arms or were people going to actually believe everything they've read for two years? So I was yeah I was so grateful to be welcomed back with open arms and supported and and that's what's gotten me here to today is is basically falling back in love with the sport and enjoying the whole journey.
0: And in hindsight, you think that two year break is has been beneficial? Now that you're you're back swimming,
1: <laughs> I wouldn't change it for the world because I think I'm a better person for the things that I've experienced and and all the knowledge that I now have moving forward and and I think I'm a better athlete for it would have liked to not have missed an Olympics though if we could have done it at a different time um, I think that was probably the hardest part was was watching them all do the Olympic trials and and go to the Olympics because you know that's that's been my childhood dream and and I hope to one day fulfill that you know obviously there's there's Olympics is is a symbol, I guess. It's a symbolism of that moment. You know, I go to the World Championships. It's the exact same kind of competition, but it just doesn't have the Olympic symbol. It's, It's just a really special moment that I hope to add to my career highlights, that's for sure.
0: So you've just finished the trials for the World Championships. You've made the team that's on in a couple of weeks
1: yeah so I leave next Saturday so the 8th of July we fly to Saga which is in Japan so bottom bottom of Japan that was where we'll have our um, training camp prior and then we'll fly into Fukuoka and compete at the world championships so it's super exciting I'm you know honored again to be in contention for that 4 by 100 freestyle relay team and we always love going up against the Yankees <laughs> so we'll see how that goes and Um, I also was really, really happy to get um, that individual spot in the 50 freestyle.
0: Now, do you think what you've been through is going to, and you did touch on it a little bit earlier, it's going to help athletes in the future that are in the similar situation as you were in?
1: Yeah, look, I already think there's evidence of that um, with the Peter Bowl situation. I do think that, you know, it was definitely up in the air with how that was handled and, and the fact that it probably shouldn't have come out in the first place. but you know, the, I liked seeing the media's reaction. It didn't jump on him straight away. They 100% gave him the benefit of the doubt straight away. They didn't, you know, they didn't start headlining drug cheat, Australian shame. That's the, you know, the things that I saw constantly was that I was a shame to Australia, that I was a drug cheat that, you know, all these different horrible things about me. And, you know, to see that People are now questioning the system and actually not jumping to conclusions straight away. I think it's a really good start. Um, There's a long way to go and there's lots to do, but, you know, I've even been speaking to Peter about ensuring that we, you know, come together and we continue to try and change that um, world because, you know, the whole, the whole athletic system and whole, sorry, athlete system is changing. You can't just leave the system the same. That has to change with us and that's a perfect example with my case the amount was minute pharmaceutically irrelevant you it didn't have any effect on my body so why was I even going through the process in the first place that's not cheating you're not I wasn't I wasn't a drug cheat that had no benefit to my body so the definition of drug cheat is very broad and it needs to be it definitely needs to be changed
0: so really the that side of it if it's only a tiny amount that really has no effect on performance or (laughs) muscle mass or or anything like that. Maybe they should change the, the way they look at it with the, you know, with positive results.
1: Yeah. So what we found out in the research that when I was going through the process was that they're now finding. So one sugar cube in 50, 50 Olympic swimming pools, they can detect. So you think like there's, going to be so many cases like mine popping up all over the world. Um, And I know it's like happened frequently in America, but in the end they have a system that understands that that's the anomaly, that there are going to be anomalies like that. And there is no need to drag the athlete out of sport. Unfortunately, we haven't reached that point yet and we're still learning. So I'm really hoping that we continue to learn and that my case was the beginning And that we don't have to put other athletes through what I went through because I don't believe that other athletes will make it through it. I was lucky and I'm quite a positive, happy person. I'm grateful that I got through the process and, you know, with my head held high. But I don't think that every athlete would make it through and and that's going to be blood on their hands.
0: Now, on another note, you did go in the uh, SAS as a contestant. yeah how was that
1: oh look I can't run let's just say that (laughs) I loved the experience and again that experience came at a great time for me to focus my energy and my time into training for that that um, opportunity and I use that opportunity again to let people see what kind of person I am and I'm I'm I am a fighter and I am someone who no matter, no matter the, the fact is I can't run and I have terrible running skills and I'm so <laughs> slow. I still tried my best. And for me, I learned a lot about myself. I, I learned that I actually view myself lesser than what other people view me. And that moment came when we all had to, I don't think they actually showed it on TV, but we all had to rate ourselves from strongest mentally to weakest And I kind of went for the middle thinking that, yeah, like I'm not, I'm not weak, but I'm also probably not the strongest here. And I went in the middle and they all kind of pushed me to the back. I kind of went, so I ended up being one of the weakest once everyone ranked themselves. And so the, the directive staff noted what we done. We went out for the day and did all the challenges and did everything that was required for the day. And at the end of the day, they ranked us based on what they've seen since we've been there. And um, myself and Badger were at the top. And I, I I really found that a val- valuable learning lesson of, you know, sometimes you're actually going to doubt yourself more than actually what you're capable of and actually what amazing things you can achieve. And I think self-reflection is a really important part of being successful in life.
0: Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, you know, everyone always thinks the worst of themselves and not the, uh, the, the positive yeah. side of things. And it's uh, something we all need to work at. All right, Shana, it's uh, great hearing your story. Now, at the end of the uh, podcast, mm-hmm. I do my uh, segment five fun facts. I'm going to throw some questions at you, and you can answer them however you want. Perfect. <laughs> what are the best and worst purchases you have ever made?
1: Our uh, best purchases easy. My dogs were the best purchase ever. I probably couldn't tell you what my worst was, to be honest, because I don't regret anything. <laughs> And um, I my mum would probably disagree with me on that one, but I definitely <laughs> I definitely think that I think about my purchases, so I haven't had any regrets.
0: Uh cats or dogs and why?
1: <laughs> dogs. I definitely love both, but dogs would be my priority and my favorite. Um I have two beautiful dogs. I have a great Dane Hugo who's eighty five kilos, and I have a Malamute Cross Shepherd, Willa, who is a Amazing dog, they both bring so much joy to my life, and you know they're that unconditional love that you see every day and for me, like when I want an escape, I basically just take my dogs to the beach and just watch them and and I just feel so much peace and joy and and that's the kind of things unfortunately you can't do with a cat i I know some people do try to take them to the beach, but it's probably not ideal. <laughs>
0: what are you most proud of?
1: For me, I'm most proud of the kind of person that I am, the kind of person that. I'm continuing to grow into. I, as I said, I, I do a lot of self-reflection and I'm proud of the fact that no matter what, I, I stand up for myself and I am resilient and I am determined. You know, I think that we, a lot of people joke around about the fact that whatever Shana wants, Shana gets. So I'm okay with that.
0: Uh, what's the most interesting thing you've read or seen this week?
1: Look, it's probably a bit like sensitive, but Some of the stuff about the submarine situation was quite insane. I, you know, I I think I read that a father and son decided not to go in the end. And I just thought, wow, that's, that's some luck there. Just making that decision not to go has saved your life.
0: Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. So the last question is, what song do you have to sing along with (laughs) when you hear it?
1: Uh, My song is Eminem, Uh, Not Afraid. I... It's, it's an oldie but a goodie. And yeah, every time it's on, I know every single word. And it's actually my go to song before a race as well. So that's kind of why it's one of those ones I sing, I get into, and I love it.
0: Great answers. <laughs> now, hopefully, uh, you'll have a, a great, great world championship. So I, I wish you all the best in that. And uh, thanks for telling your story because I think it's going to resonate with a lot of people. Uh, that listen to the podcast and uh, you know just listening to the story it's amazing on how tough people probably don't realize how tough it would have been when you got the whole world looking at you and and judging you on on whatever they're seeing or hearing Mm -hmm. to bounce back from that it's 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 quite incredible and to get back to an elite level to where you are at now and representing Australia again yeah congratulations.
1: Thank you I really appreciate that I think you know, sometimes I don't even take the time to realise how far I've come and, and having these moments of actually going through it, it, it does make me realise how far I've come and, and the things that I have achieved. So so thank you so much for having me.
0: I'll be uh, keeping a close eye on the World Championships <laughs> after you come over with the gold.
1: Amazing. I would love that too. So let's hope that. Fingers <laughs> crossed.
0: Okay, I'll catch you soon. Thank you. Now let's go to Beach Banner. This week in the Beach Shack, we've got Azza Buck and he's come back in again. Uh, Azza, how are you? Yeah, good, mate. How are you? Good, mate. Now, we've done plenty of rescues over the years and obviously you've
2: been around for 19 years. Is there one that stands out at all at Bondi? Oh, look, there's probably a lot, but um, I was thinking about this and there, there is one that comes to mind and I think Troy might have brought it up with me just recently. That might be why like, it's sticking in my head, but um, yeah, it's pretty... Pretty interesting rescue. I, I'm not sure. It might have been my first season, actually. But I think Boxers also um, brought it up at some stage and had a good giggle with me about it when we'd been on the beers one night. So, yeah, it's it's probably the one I'm thinking about. Uh, we had a report of a, a like a, blo- a beginner surfer and he, he, he'd gone in, in the rip in the south corner. It's was pretty solid, solid swell coming in the south corner of Bondi, really slamming down hard out the back, like just... Pretty pretty brutal sort of bank, and um, we went down. We're trying to rein him in with the megaphone, and by this stage, he's realised that he's got sucked out the back, not no longer catching the whitewashing in shore, and he's um out there waving and screaming, and he really didn't want to be out there anymore. And he had no way of getting in; it was just too too big and too solid. So, you know, we sort of looked at each other, and I said, "I'll go," and I grabbed the board, left left Troy in the uh, buggy in the corner, and jumped in the rip got out pretty easily um sort of dodged the sets and um got out there i'm I'm sort of he, he, he it was pretty big so he's, he's a fair way across and i didn't want to he's right in the impact zone i didn't really want to get across there get get him and get caught i was trying to tell him to paddle across to me where we were sort of in in a bit of safety and um he just started to panic and started to freak out and he was I think he was like jumping off his board or something and there was a bit of a lull and I thought I just got to get him out of here and so I've pinned it across got him sort of got tangled up I'm yelling at him to take his leggy off you know I can be a bit bit um bit forward about things with people and so I'm in no uncertain terms you know ripping at this leg rope trying to take it off trying on a ditch his board and as I'm doing this I can just see these sets looming on us you know and i have just by this stage I have get him on the board he's trying to sit up the wrong way all the usual stuff I'm yelling at him I'm pulling on him get him laying down and I just all I could do by then was just try to paddle for sure and try to get away from this thing landing on top of us and as we were as I was pinning it it's solid set this thing's just reared up behind us and I just had to paddle 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 as hard as I could and it just sucked us up the face and Troy reckons we were like top to bottom, nose to tail, in inside the barrel. I got two hands full of the guy's wedding and pretty much body surfed him off the front of the board, straight down, straight down into the barrel and through the bottom of it. Troy said the board shot out through the top of the barrel and went three times the size of the wave. Anyway, I held onto him and um, came up with this, drowned Frenchman you know not knowing what had happened holding him up the board somehow landed in front of the wave washed all the way to Troy's feet on the shore and he just casually jumped on it paddled back out took the guy off me about halfway in where I was swimming him in and um, took him to shore while I paddled back in and I had like I'd, I'd caught the rope in the face and I had blood dripping down my face coming up the beach. It looked like I'd just been to war. And I think by that stage, box had come down the beach to, um, to sort of back us up. And I was just met by laughter, <laughs> laughter <laughs> from the two of them. And uh, I think it went down between the three of us. It went down as one of the, one of the most ridiculous, funny wipeouts I think any of us had ever seen.
0: <laughs> yeah it was good you get you get that isn't it funny you get hurt and uh everyone will laugh at you first and before they worry about looking after you and, and fixing it up the injury
2: yeah that's right and it, you know it was a pretty um it was a pretty gnarly little episode so I'm sure the adrenaline was running high and I was I was cracking up about it from you know from the moment I came up with the guy I was like thinking that's 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 gold I held onto him my body surfed him through the break and popped back up but, um, yeah, uh, looking back on it, the guy's probably never been in the water again since.
0: Oh, <laughs> 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 right, uh, mate, good job, Azza. It's uh, good to uh, hear your stories, and uh, I'll
2: catch you very soon. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me.
0: Now it's time to have a listen to the fans in the mailbag. This week's letter in the mailbag is from Brian and he's from Adelaide in South Australia. And his question is, I'm enjoying all the episodes on uh, Life's a Beach and there's so many to get through. Is there a certain way you get people to come on and the structure of the podcast? Well, Brian, uh, pretty much it's word of mouth. People... uh, say that they've got someone they know that's got a good story or I might try and source them myself and it's generally just uh whatever pops up week to week and and we chase different people now the structure of the podcast it's, it's no real structure it's pretty much just uh getting on having a chat I throw a few questions I prepare a few questions and we just go from there and it's basically just a uh, like you having a chat with a mate in the pub, you know, it's just a very relaxed environment uh, and we just uh, record the audio and that's uh, the way the podcast is put together and uh, it's edited quite well as well. So it's uh, something that uh, we really enjoy putting out to everybody to have a listen. So Thanks again, Brian, for your letter, and I'll catch you all again next week. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Remember to subscribe to Life's a Beach wherever you get your podcasts and hit us up with questions, comments, or follow us on our social media channels, which you can find in our show notes. That's it for today, Beach fans. Stay safe and swim between the flags.